Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, we're going to start over in 1 Corinthians chapter. No, that's the wrong verse. I'm on the wrong subject. We're actually going, well, we're going over to 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to start at, chapter, uh, chapter 12. But as soon as I pull up tonight's lesson, I don't think you want to hear Sundays again, although Sunday I thought was pretty good. <laughs> but we are going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 ultimately. Uh, but, you know, just to review a little bit of what we have been talking about, I think since the beginning of the year, we've started talking about commitment and the, the need to revisit our commitment to God. Just like it was in the early days of when we got saved, we were on fire, we were excited about the things of God. Amen. And we want to revisit that commitment if we need to. Uh, we also want to go back to walking by real faith, and we had, through teaching, cleared up the confu confusion of erroneous thinking about faith, because faith has to be correct in order for it to function in our life. We talked about the path to peace and prosperity, that we should revisit that path, make sure that we're on that path, because righteous living sets the path, and seeds have been planted in our life so that we can walk righteously, and that righteous living brings us to a place of peace and prosperity. We talked about fervency, which was dealing with lukewarmness. And uh, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be either hot or cold. We want to be either therapeutic or refreshing, one or the other. But we don't want to be lukewarm. And then we talked about being living gateways, that his power wants to move through us, not only for us. Amen. Amen. And he wants us to move in the ministry of reconciliation. Our iniquity has been removed. Therefore, we can be a watchman. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, you know, um, you, you know, we started talking about commitment the first uh, week. And then the next week, actually, Dennis came for that one Wednesday night. And uh, just really, I don't know about you, but there was an impartation that took place that night. And things got dropped, on think, on the inside of every one of us. And things have changed in the house since he's been here that night. Amen. And uh, worship, I mean... And when I talk about worship and I talk about increase, I'm talking about everybody's participation. It's not just like, well, up here the anointing has changed or up at worship the anointing. No, I'm talking about in the house. It's the participation, you know, and that's what makes everything change and increase. So as increase takes place in you, increase takes place in the house. And ever since Dennis has been here, we've been talking about all the things that he's talked about. And I've never done that before. Normally, when we have a guest speaker come in, you know, over the next few weeks or the next few months, we will interject some things that were spoken from the speaker into the things that God has us to talk about. But actually, this time when Dennis came, the Lord said, you take exactly what he taught and now you teach what he taught. So what he taught in one night, we've been teaching for five weeks. Amen. And that's the difference between preaching and teaching. A preacher will proclaim it, but a teacher will get into the meat of it, take it all apart, and just get down into the nitty-gritty about it. Glory to God. Did you find 2 Corinthians 12? You know, the greatest thing about all that we've been talking about this year is that none of this is something you have to do on your own. You never have to do it on your own. No matter what the Word of God says, even if the Word of God says you ought to stop doing this, stop doing this, you never have to do it on your own. You know, Zechariah said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You know, and it's by his spirit. And it's not that his spirit is going to come do it for you, but it's that his spirit and the Holy Spirit is called the helper. He's there to help you. He's there to assist you. Now, he'll do the biggest part of the job. Right. Amen. But, you know, we've got a part that we have to play, and he's there to assist us. So it is by his spirit, and as we do the things we need to do, his spirit will then move. And the, the actual word of God that's alive in our heart, that implanted seed has within it the inherent power to bring about that which it has declared. So if the word of God says you need to stop doing such and such and such and such, and you're like, yeah, I need to do that. If you will get together with God on it, get that word in your heart, 
cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He will move on your behalf and the power of the word of God by the Holy Spirit will bring that into reality in your life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There's only one thing you have to do, not quit. If you don't quit, you will win. Winners never quit and quitters never win. But we are not those that quit, are we? We can get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, did you find 2 Corinthians 12? If you haven't found it by now, just look on with your neighbor, because I don't think you're going to be able to find it. But in 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to read verses 7 through 10. Apostle Paul says here, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distress, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now let's read, we're in verse 10. Let's look at that in the Passion Translation, verse 10. He says, so I'm not defeated by my weaknesses, but I'm delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and first face persecutions because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The weakness I deal with is an avenue or a portal for God's power. Hallelujah. So let's talk about this a bit. Go back to verse 7. But he's talking about weaknesses here. You know, when I see I'm weak, I have to admit to the weakness in order to make the choice to turn to the Lord. If I will not admit that I'm weak, I'll never turn to the Lord. Paul turned three times. And a lot of people, especially faith people, you know how you faith people are. You refuse to say, I'm weak. Therefore, you never turn to the Lord for help because you refuse to say you. See, there's nothing. I remember that song. Um, uh, what was it? Is it the air that I breathe? No, no. It was the other one. It was when the music fades and all is stripped away. And I simply come longing just to bring something in my heart that will bless your heart. And there's, there's, there's a, I think it's that song. It says, and it says, though I'm poor and weak. Oh, when, the first time we sang that song, the, you could feel the church. I'm not poor. I'm not weak. I'm not poor. I'm not weak. Well, who are you talking to? You're talking to the Lord. Now, compared to him. You are being nice, weak, and poor compared to him. Oh, there it is. God bless you all, media room. We love you. See, so compared to him, and they were, and so we'd start singing that, and just before the verse, I'd say, Lord, compared to you, though I'm weak and poor, and all I have is yours, okay? So we'd have to say that several times in singing the song, Lord, compared to you, I am weak and poor. Okay, because people did not want to say that. Well, you got to know who you're talking to, what's the surrounding circumstances and what's going on. If you've got a, 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 a doctrine, well, I never say that you'll never get help. Paul said, when I'm weak. Okay, so you got to know. When you're weak. So let's, let's look at this in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. 
Okay, now Paul knew exactly what was going on. People were exalting him because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. Now, New American Standard, and and very seldom do I ever say this, but for New American Standard, that's a bad translation. Really bad. When it comes to the Greek, that's a bad translation. For the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, what does that sound like to you? Paul had a pride problem. But that's a bad translation. This Greek structure, actually, of this verse says, by the excess of the revelations that I may, that, that not I may be exalted. Therefore, a messenger of Satan was given to me so that not I might be exalted. It wasn't that he exalted himself, but he was going to get exalted by the people. And that's what the messenger of Satan was there to stop him from being exalted by the people. Because what was the whole plan? Satan did not want the revelations exalted among the people. He didn't want people going around and going, well, this is great revelation. This is something I need to get a hold of. Well, did you hear this revelation? He didn't want them talking about that. What did he want them to talk? He wanted them to talk about the stuff the false teachers were talking about. He wanted, you know, the false teachers were going, oh, that Paul, he claims that he's an apostle, but he's not an apostle. Look at all the trouble he has. I mean, everything he does, every place he goes, nothing but problems and trouble. He's not a real apostle. Listen to us. We have the revelations, even though they've come from the fertility of our mind. And that's what Satan wanted lifted up. The false revelations of the false teachers that came out of the fertility and vanity of their minds. He did not want the real revelations of God to be lifted up. And that's what the translation actually says, that not I would be exalted. Remember when Jesus went around and, and he had been teaching the people and he told the disciples, let's go over to the other side? Why did he tell them that? Because they wanted to make him king. See, they wanted to exalt him. He didn't want that. He said, I'm getting out of here. And remember when Paul was in, uh, I forget what city he was in, but then they said, oh, the gods have come among us. Of course, a few verses later, they went to kill him. So what happened? The people said the gods are among us and all that, but then something happened to bring that down. That not I would be exalted because of the revelations. So therefore, a messenger of Satan was given to try to buffet me and knock me down. Are you with me? You know, and the false teachers were going around just exactly what Paul talked about in the book of Ephesus, that they were being carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. Yep. See, this is Satan's MO among the people. And if you're mature, you'll pick that up in a heartbeat, that people are scheming, people are trickery. It's obvious. When you know the truth. So Paul admitted his weaknesses. He said, when I'm weak, he admitted to his weakness. What was his weakness? His inability to change the situation. His inability to stop Satan. His inability to convince people otherwise. But his prayer to Jesus was very simple. Oh, Jesus, won't you help me? It was a Jesus, won't you help me prayer. Right? And it says there, I think it is in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord, which means I beseech you, Lord. I am begging you. That's what it means, okay? It's a passionate begging pr- prayer. Oh, Jesus, won't you help me? This is, this is getting to be too much for me. Huh? Do you think that he doubted and wondered why his prayer was not answered on two other occasions? I implored the Lord three times. This is the third time. Why wasn't he answered on two other occasions? Paul's now getting desperate. Things are getting tough. He's in dire straits. He must have help, and he needs help now. Who hasn't ever been in that position? 
What is that position called? Weakness. Because you can't fix it. Amen. Verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now, most people translate that as, Paul, just sit down and don't worry about it. My grace is on you and it'll be okay. No. Jesus didn't say, Paul, I know where you're at. Okay, let me see if I could do something about this. You've been such a faithful servant, Paul. And this should not be happening to you. So I'm going to make it right for you. He didn't say that. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, you just came to me with a Jesus, won't you help me prayer? And you know better than this. You know about grace because, Paul, you're a preacher of grace among the Gentiles. Paul was not a spiritual infant. He was not running around in diapers. He knew about and experienced the grace of God on several occasions. But just like all of us, he's just a man. He's a human being. He's just like all of us. He's got a soul that he's got to deal with. And he may have been tired of dealing with the trouble. I mean, if you read chapter 11, you know, he's in danger in the city, dangers in the field, dangers from his countrymen, dangers from the Jews. You know, he's been stoned. He's been uh, uh, beat with rods. He's been shipwrecked. He's been whipped. He's, he's been in danger from robbers, dangers, you know, all kinds of problems. And besides that, he had the daily concern of all the churches. So he had some stuff that he was dealing with. Isn't that right? So he might have been tired of it. And maybe he forgot about grace. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands that who has ever forgotten about the grace of God. Maybe he ignored the trouble, thinking Jesus will take care of this. You know how it is. I'm doing what God told me to do. He just going to, what am I, what do you mean? Why do I have this trouble? I'm doing what God's told me to do. God, I don't know why you're not taking care of this. I'm doing what you told me to do. We've all been in that situation, haven't we? Yeah. So when things didn't change, Paul got shaken. Why was his prayers not answered? Why is it taken three times? What did he pray? Why wasn't it answered? Now, when it comes to the deliverance of God, we know there's three ways God delivers. Just in Psalm 91, it talks about God will deliver me. And each time there's a different word used for deliver. And we know that God will deliver us from a situation that we never have to deal with it. That's the one we all like. I like that one. (laughs) But the second one is that he, deal, he, he delivers us by walking us around the situation. We see it, but we walk around it. And then the third way he delivers is another Hebrew word, which means he'll deliver you as you go through it. All right? So what did Paul pray? And it says in verse 8, go back to 8 again. It says that he implored the Lord, he begged him, he beseeched him three times that it might leave me. So he wants to be what? Delivered out from the situation. So Paul prayed that he would be delivered. But not only did he pray for deliverance, he told the Lord how to do it. This is what I want. I want to be delivered out from this. And what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. What does the word sufficient mean? Strong and able to assist you. It means that it's adequate for a particular purpose with the implication of leading to satisfaction. Paul, I know you want to be delivered and it's scriptural to be delivered, but you're telling me how to do it. You don't tell him how to do it. You know what that's called? Tempting God. It is. 
That's the scriptural definition of tempting God. Go ahead and throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, he'll give his angels charge over you concerning you to bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Okay, I'm jumping. God, deliver me. You just told him what to do. And what did the Lord say to Satan when he told him to do that? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. When you tell God how to do something, you're tempting him. You have gone beyond your authority and your position. So it's one thing to believe God for deliverance. It's another thing to say, this is how I want it. Oh, you've overstepped your boundaries. Are you with me? Don't shout me down now. I know you're quiet because you're taking notes on that one. So again in verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So I want you to notice the wording here. What does the word perfected mean? It means to be completed and to be matured. So power is perfected or made complete in weakness. Now, how many of you ever had problems in the areas of weakness? Are you too weak to raise your hand? Because I didn't see every hand go up. Thank you. <laughs> now, if weakness alone made you strong, we'd all be giants, wouldn't we? No. Strength or power is perfected and grows and matures and comes to completeness in that area of weakness. So if I am not admitting to the weakness, if I'm not, now you don't have to go tell her, well, let me tell you where I'm weak. No, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear it. So this is not about going around and telling people about your weaknesses. This is about admitting it before the Lord. Yeah. Admitting to the weakness, declaring and facing the fact of my weakness. And then only if I'm not doing that, if I will not admit to it, then I'm limited to my weakness. And I'm limited to the strength of my weakness, which I think is my strength. But it's not my strength. It's my weakness. And this is why it's so important to admit it. You know, it's just like when the Lord came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? You think he didn't know? Adam, did you eat of the tree I told you not to? Do you think he didn't know? He's trying to get Adam to do what? Admit it. But he wouldn't. Adam, did you eat the tree? That woman you gave me. It was her fault. She forced me to eat it. She hogtied me, shoved that thing in my mouth. I had no choice. <laughs> no. <You know? laughs> no, that's not a Valentine's message. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't admit to it, did he? No. The woman did. There's one thing women always admit to, that we're the problem. <laughs> always. So let me back up here a little bit. So if I'm not admitting to and declaring and facing the fact of my weakness, then I'm only the limited power of my weakness is available to handle the situation. And I think it's my strength, but actually... It's my weakness. But Paul said, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. Therefore, I declare, I admit to it, and I face my weaknesses so that I can turn to the Lord and his grace. And with the turning to the Lord and his grace, it will release the power of Christ in me. 
Most gladly, I will rather boast, declare, admit, and face my weaknesses so that I can turn to the Lord and his grace that is all sufficient and the power of Christ can dwell in me. Hallelujah. So this is a very important point here is that he said so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So that means the power of Christ dwelling in you is not a result of being born again. Just because you're born again doesn't mean the power of Christ dwells in you. Otherwise, why would he say that? But because you are born again, it is a possibility that the power of Christ can dwell in you. It's not automatic, but it is possible because you can admit your weakness and turn to the grace of God. And the power of Christ will dwell. The word dwell means to pitch a tent. It means to have a habitation and that a covering will spread over you. Most people live with the power of Christ with a come and go scenario. They let them come visit once in a while when they need them. Do you know why many times we get into situation and teams that take so long to get an answer? Because you don't live like that. You visit every so often. It's like the teenager that, you know, wants to get out on his own. But when he has problems, he runs home to mom and dad. And that's what we do with God. We visit. See, but the power of Christ is not to be a come and go scenario. It's not supposed to be paying a visit. It's to dwell. And it doesn't dwell just because you're born again. It dwells because you admit your weaknesses. Amen. Verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I am well content. Why? Because when I own up to my weaknesses, I can turn to the Lord and be strong in him. I can turn from my weaknesses and turn to the power of all creation. But if I don't admit that I'm weak, that means I have my answers. I don't know about you. You know, I'm, I'm just going to talk about, can I talk about me for a minute here? Better that I talk about me than you. But <laughs> talking about me. I live in a continual state of weakness. I do. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know how I can do anything, get anything done. I'm serious. It didn't matter if it was working on cars, if it was remodeling my house, preaching, doing worship. doesn't matter what it is. I live in a continual state of weakness. And I'm always like, Lord, if it ain't you, it ain't ever going to be. Are you with me? What is the definition of weakness? It's the inability to produce results. If you remember, in fact, you could throw the verse up in Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. What is the weakness? You don't know how to pray as you should. That's the weakness. You don't know how to pray as you should. Well, what do you mean? Somebody needs healing, so we pray for them to be healed. But you don't know. Maybe that person has a problem with uh, unforgiveness. But you're not praying about their unforgiveness. You're praying about their healing. But it's unforgiveness is what's, what's holding back the healing. Somebody has a problem with arrogance. Somebody has a problem with uh, resentment. Somebody has a problem with adultery. But we're praying for them to be healed. But that's not the situation. And you don't know that. You're not privy to those things. Why? Because the weakness is you live in that flesh. That's the weakness. You have an inability to produce results because of the flesh. You can't know what you need to know. 
And unless you're praying for somebody and the Lord specifically reveals something to you, which he probably won't because he's not a gossip, but unless something is specifically revealed, you don't know how to pray for that person. And that's why we pray in the Holy Ghost. We know they need healing, but we don't know the situation, so we're praying in the Holy Ghost for them. Are you with me? An inability to produce results. You know, worship. Take worship, for example. Worship is not about doing good songs. Worship is not about the instruments being tight and everybody's on beat. It's not about the singers being in key and harmonizing. Although that's important because y'all would run out the door if that wasn't happening. People wouldn't listen to it if that wasn't happening. They'd be like, I can't take this noise. And the reason is because we're so flesh-minded. You know, God gave me a song one time because everybody told me I couldn't sing. They still do. They still tell me you can't sing, but you know. So God gave me a song some years ago back in the 80s when I really couldn't sing. I could sing better today than I used to, if you can believe that. But he gave me a song one time, and part of the song was, if you look within, you will win. But if you look without, you'll lose out. In other words, when you look outward, you'll lose out every time. But if you look inward, you'll always win. We were getting ready to do a service, and it was a midweek service, and I think there were some guest speakers in, and we were getting ready to do worship, and the pastor comes out, and the people are excited. I mean, they're almost hanging from the chandeliers. They're so excited. It was like the fourth night of meetings, and me and the worship leader, we're getting ready to do worship, and the pastor comes over to us and goes, they're all in the flesh. Settle them down. (laughs) Now, you would think by looking at him, man, this is exciting. They're all excited about the meetings. They're excited about God. He's like, nope, it's all flesh. Get him settled down. What did he want? He wanted him to hook up on the inside. Because this outward stuff, this outward excitement ain't going to do you a lick a bit of good. Do nothing but weigh you out. And he wanted everybody to get, on the, get connected on the inside. Listen to the spirit of God inwardly. Amen. So what is worship all about? Because as much as the instruments, the playing, the singing, as much as it's all important, certainly is not the goal. What's the goal of worship? For the anointing of the Holy Spirit to move. And you know what? The anointing is something only he can do. So we can get up there, we can be all practiced up, we can be all worship uh, ready, we can have our voices all warmed up, or the singers can have their voices all warmed up, you know. But yet that's not the most important part of the worship. Obedience, to follow the Spirit of God, is the most important part so the Holy Spirit can move. Are you with me? That's the part you can't produce, and yet it's the most important part. So therefore, we're totally weak. Can't do it. Can't produce it. And you have to admit it. God, if your anointing don't come, there's nothing worth being here for. Oh, God, if you don't show up. God, we did what we needed to do, but we're looking to you because you're the only one that can make the difference. Are you with me? What does it tell us in Isaiah that breaks the yoke? The anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke. Not good songs. Not good music. Not good singers. God can use all of that. But that's not what breaks the yoke. Because if the anointing don't show up, your instruments aren't going to do anything. And you can get a really, really, you can really have a great song service and have a great fleshly result from it and feel so warm and fuzzy on the inside. But no anointing. You know, I've been in places to where somebody would start singing and people would start crying. They'd say, oh, that was so anointed. I'm like, 
No, it wasn't. It was your emotions. They just touched you emotionally. It wasn't anointed. But people think because they cried, it was anointed. You can look at six babies on, sick babies on TV and cry. You can look at those old elderly Jewish women that they're trying to raise money for and cry. That doesn't mean it's anointed. Are you with me? I don't want to belabor the points, but you have to understand that. The goal is the anointing. Witnessing on the street, you guys go out on the street, many of you go out on the street, you all just went out uh, about a week ago, or you're going out this week, this week you're going back out again. And witnessing, you know, it's not about having the right script, it's not about the right approach, although that's important, you need to have those things, but it's the anointing, the anointing is what's needed out on the street, and nobody can produce the anointing except the Holy Spirit. Helps ministry is about the anointing. Children's church is about the anointing. Teaching is not about just putting some scriptures together and making up a sermon. Because you know what? Any one of you can do that. Anybody can do that. It's not about that. It's all about the anointing. The anointing that moves on behalf of the hearers. There's no anointing then it was useless. The anointing breaks the yoke. It's the anointing on the word that brings revelation. The anointing that creates impartation. It's the anointing that touches us. And without that, all you have is a sermon. Amen? John chapter 5. We'll come back here to 2 Corinthians. John chapter 5, verse 19 and verse 30. John 5, 19 and 30. He said, therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. So I can't do anything on my own initiative but what I hear the father say to me to do I can do that because I want to do his will. So Jesus couldn't do anything without the anointing. Jesus lived for 30 years before he ever showed up at the river Jordan. No miracles. No nothing. We found him in the temple at 12 years old. What was he doing? Was he teaching? Was he standing before the, the, the teachers, the rulers of the synagogue and teaching them? No, he's asking them questions. He didn't do anything until the anointing came into his life. Could do nothing on his own. Amen. Uh, chapter 15 of John, verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we are weak and unable to produce. Our only strength without him is our weakness. That's the strongest we can be. What we need is the power of the anointing in everything we do. If you want the power of the anointing in your issues and problems of life, then you need the power of the anointing in everything that you do. That needs to become an everyday part of your life that the anointing of God is moving through you. And it's not just because you're born again. You have to purposely give yourself every day. This is not about a two-minute said some scriptures. This is about giving yourself, connecting in your spirit every day. Amen. And I don't mean to be so hard about that or loud about that, but I'm sorry there's just too many errors in this area. 
There's too much of error that has to be straightened out. And that's why everything that we teach is always in series because you need to meditate on it. You need to hear it and get it alive in your heart. Amen. You need, we need, every one of us needs the power of the anointing, the power of Christ dwelling in us in everything we do. So what do we have to do? A continual admission of weakness and a continual turning to the Lord about what you need to do. Continually. It's a continual. This is a continual turn towards him. You know, and we, we say these things all the time. Oh, God. Less of me and more of you. Well, how's that going to happen? If you don't turn, it's not going to happen. But we have all these cute things to say. You know, all of our bread box promises and all this. But there's always the how. How's that going to happen? You know, I used to say, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and, and I knew people that were my age now. And they would talk, I would talk to them and they would talk about, yeah, when, you know, years ago when I used to be able to do this and do that and these are the things I used to do, but I don't do that stuff anymore and I've gotten rid of all those things. And I used to say to myself, I am not going to be one of those used to be's. And I would continually say that until I became a used to be. Because one thing you learn when you grow up <laughs> is that there are processes of life that you go through that change. And if you want to advance in life, you're going to have to live as it used to be. That I never knew about that. Now, folks that I was talking to, Okay, there were things they used to do and used to have, but then they retired, they moved down here, so they don't have that anymore, and they have other stuff. Fine, okay, but I can't see what you used to do. And I wanted to, like, I'd like to see that, but I couldn't. But, like, I used to be an auto mechanic, and that was great for a season, but then it was time to move on. And then I used to, be a homeowner but then we sold that and it was time to move on and then I used to have certain things but it was time to get rid of those things and move on so if you want to advance in life you're going to have to be a used to be I used to be dead but now I'm alive I used to be lost but now I'm found so there's nothing really wrong with the used to be I just wasn't there yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So therefore, I didn't understand it. And it's amazing how many times we hear things from the word of God. And because we're not there, we don't understand it. I used to, have, I used to be in leadership meetings with other ministers. And I'd hear them talking about, well, we need to prepare for blah, blah, blah. Well, as a new believer, I'd think, oh, so carnal, you don't prepare for nothing. You know, God will just come, you know. Like, you know. <laughs> well, I found out wrong. I found out that was wrong. And uh, there is a preparing because the more you get to know God and the more you get involved in the things of God, you ought to be able to look miles down the road to know what's coming up and prepare for that before it even gets in your, at your feet. That's right. Because as far as you can see, you can have, you know, for instance, you know, youth, you, you, you know, you try to tell the youth, maybe uh, kids, grandkids or whoever, you try to tell them about something. They're like, oh, no, no, no. I, I know what I'm doing. Well, they can only see this far. That's as far as they could see. But you've been down that road. So you know what's coming up and you know and you can help them with that. But no, they're like this and they think that they know. But the thing about growing, maturing, even in the things of God, is that opens up to where now I could see that this is here, but I could see what's coming up down the road. 
And I got to prepare for that thing because I'm not going to let that do what it wants to do. I'm preparing for it. It might be something coming up that I need to take hold of. So I need to prepare for that. You know, we always say this. The Holy Spirit will show me things to come. Well, you know what? One step in front of you is something to come. And if we're not looking to the step in front of us to take that the Holy Spirit wants to direct us in, how are we ever going to get down that road? Do you know why he doesn't show you what's down that road? Because you haven't walked in the step. And he knows if he shows you what's down that road, you're going to try to make it happen. And you'll just mess the whole thing up. Why? Because you're weak. And you can't make it happen. But he can. And that's why we have to follow him. Amen. Are you with me? I didn't plan on talking about that but there you go apart from me you can do nothing what we need is the power of the anointing in everything we do in our life the power of Christ and notice that he says that the power of Christ would dwell in me he doesn't say the power of Jesus because it's not the power of Jesus Jesus had no power in himself. It was the power of the anointing. Well, wasn't Jesus the Christ? No, the Christ was the word. The word became flesh. And he gave up his deity and his rights and all of his privileges and lived totally under the direction and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And did nothing of his own initiative. He did nothing of his own, nothing of his own initiative. Before he, lived, before he came to the River Jordan, he did everything based on what his father told him to do. I'm talking about Joseph. He lived in his parents' house. He did everything he was told to do. But the day came when he left the house, went to the River Jordan, and took off on ministry, and now did everything that the, his father in heaven told him to do. He did nothing of his own initiative. That's why he never sinned. Amen. But it was all because of the power of Christ in him. Power of the anointing. So back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, in the Passion Translation. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. We don't want to be defeated by our own weakness. You know, sports figures, they work to overcome their weakness. They work, you know, in baseball, they're going to work with batting coaches, fielding coaches, pitching coaches, and they're going to help them to overcome a weakness so that they can become stronger in what they do. Book writers, they have their manuscripts evaluated for corrections. Why? What's being corrected? Your weakness. You know, when I write, I have weaknesses of proper punctuation, and then I have weaknesses of proper English. I have weaknesses of proper sentence structures by the time you get it it's been evaluated and corrected thank god (laughs) are you with me because i have weaknesses now if i didn't admit to my weakness i go like yeah just put that book out there there's nothing wrong with that book nothing wrong to me because i know how dumb i talk and i can read that but somebody else is going to look at it and go what are you talking about are you with me if somebody's a student at school an engaged student in school they're going to want to overcome their weaknesses so that they can get better grades because better grades means better jobs isn't that right so it's about overcoming weaknesses it's not an unusual thing in life 
All these people, as well as others, are not going to be defeated by their weaknesses because they're going to work at overcoming them. Most Christians ignore their weaknesses. The Bible says, consider yourself dead to evil passions, evil desires. Well, I don't have any evil desires. Of course you do. Jesus said in the book of Luke, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. You are evil because you're not God. The, 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 the rich young ruler said to Jesus, oh, good master. And he said, what are you calling me good for? There's none good but God. And we want to walk around and go, well, I'm good. I mean, I'm doing good. No, you're not. You need work. We all need work. This is not a bad thing. Because when you admit it, you become a portal to the power of God. If you don't admit your weakness, you're shutting the door on the power of God. Amen. Are you with me? Life is all about overcoming weaknesses. If you want to advance in life, you have to overcome weaknesses. In the kingdom of God, overcoming weaknesses is all about allowing more of the anointing to move on our behalf as well as others and fulfilling what the will of the Lord is in our life or in any given circumstance. We all want to fulfill the will of God in our life, but what about the circumstance right now? You know, it's like we've said, well, never mind. I'm not going there. Life is all about overcoming weaknesses. Don't be defeated by your weakness. Understand what they are. Allow the Holy Spirit to show you what they are. I have known people through the years. You know, I've been doing this now 43 years. And um, I've known people. Well, actually, I've been saved for 43 years and been doing ministry for 42 years. And for 42 years, I've known people not wanting to respond to ministry because of what others might think. Well, I'm not going for ministry. People, I don't, you know, they're going to think that I'm whatever people think. Or people might feel like they're too embarrassed to go forward. Or people might think, well, you know, I'm a mature Christian. Let those people go for hands laid. I don't need hands. I'm mature. Mature. Does it sound more mature? Should I say it in a deep voice? I'm mature. (laughs) But what is that? What is that? It's all weakness. It's weaknesses of our flesh that's looking to defeat us, to keep the anointing from being produced in us and for us. Rather than, I am delighted to be weak so I can respond to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and have the power of Christ move in me. Amen. When I feel weak in any area, the number one mistreatment I will ever endure is from my flesh. Number one. My unrenewed mind and the old nature that's still in my soul. The same old enemy that told me I didn't need to get saved. The same old enemy that told me, eh, you don't need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, the same old enemy that keeps telling me all this stuff was wanting to keep me from receiving from the Lord. It's that flesh. It's that flesh. That's our weakness, our own flesh. And unless you pick up your cross of your flesh daily and carry it, it will overcome you. Therefore, when I'm faced with my weakness, when I face my weakness, I can turn to the grace of God by faith. And I will be a portal for God's power in me. When I feel weak, when I feel embarrassed, I feel shy, I feel timid, I feel fearful to witness I can turn to the Lord and I can be a portal for God's power to move through me in my state of weakness then I through faith can allow the grace of God to move in power and deliver me or bring deliverance through me for somebody else if I'm going to walk in a commitment of life 
If I'm going to walk in a life of continual real faith, if I'm going to continue on the path of peace and prosperity, if I'm going to be a living gateway for the Holy Spirit to move through me, I am going to have to learn to turn from my weakness, my inability, my own self and my flesh in order to produce results and turn by faith, faith in my heart and in my mouth, faith to the Lord and to his all-sufficient, strong ability and assistance to help me overcome my weaknesses. His adequacy, making up for my inadequacy. It's his adequacy that we need in the situation, allowing him by faith to move for me and to move through me. Amen. Amen. I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. The portal is in you. The portal is in you. God is waiting on us to access his grace. Ephesians 3.16 in the Passion Translation says that, you would, that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor, which is his grace. The unlimited riches of his glory and grace. You know how many times the word of God talks about his unlimited riches. The unlimited riches of his grace. The unlimited riches of his inheritance that's in the saints. Unlimited riches of God that supplies all of your need. Unlimited riches. And why are we at the level we're at? Because we don't turn to him. We've allowed the flesh to tell us, you can do this. And we do it apart from the anointing, which actually is producing what? Jesus said, apart from me. So it's like we're moving forward, but we're really not getting any place. The all-sufficiency and unlimited riches of his grace. My goodness. That is accessed through faith. And what happens to people, believers, after a number of years of hearing the word and believing God? The thought and the attitude. Well, I have faith. But is it producing like it did when you first got faith. Because if it's not producing, then you don't have what you think you have. You might know, but you don't have. And you got to go back to having. Because only by having can you attach to that grace. Oh, Jesus, won't you help me? This is three times, Jesus. I come to you three times. I mean, I need you to do something. Paul, Paul, <laughs> grace. Remember grace. Attached to the grace. It's all sufficient. It's adequate. And it's strong. And it is what's going to help you in your situation. He forgot about faith. Because that's the only avenue to attach to grace. If you forgot about the grace, you forgot about faith. Paul had to be reminded. We cannot sit there in an obstinate attitude and go, well, yeah, I know that stuff. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. So what's it producing? It's, it's just things to evaluate. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody or anything. It's just things that we need to evaluate in our life because we want to make sure we're moving forward. Amen. It's all about allowing the Lord by faith to move for me and to move through me. You know, you know it because we've said it many times. God is not in control. He certainly is not in control of your life. Your life is dependent on your choices. He'll try to move things for you, get you in position, but you've got to make the choice. He will not force you. Isn't that right? So Psalm 1611 says, Lord, lead me in your path of life. Lead me in your path of life. 
Okay, this is, this is David's cry. Lead me in your path of life. Why? Because on your path, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lead me. That's what life is about. Life is about fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's what life is about. Lead me in your path of life. The path that drips with peace and prosperity. Psalm 1611. Psalm 143:8 and 10 says, Lord, teach me the way in which I should walk. Teach me to do your will. Well, why would we have to be taught these things if he's in control and he's just going to make everything happen? We want to be on his path. But we have to be turned to him on a regular basis. Teach me to do your will. That my portal will remain and your presence will be free to move through me. And I will be your living gateway into this earth. That your will, Lord, teach me, lead me, teach me to do your will so that your will can be done on this earth as it's done in heaven. At least let it be done through me. I want to walk in your will. In your will is your ways, and in your ways is your life. And it has to be a continual path that we walk on. Because that is where power will get perfected. And the more you're on that path, the more you realize how weak you really are. But yet you'll know more and more how strong your God is. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. The last scripture was Psalm 143, 8 and 10. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Oh, Father, we bless you. We honor you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that you are the all-sufficient one, that your grace is more than enough. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live in us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Father, I thank you that whether we're here in this room, we're connected on social media, on live stream, podcast, however it may be. Lord, I thank you that right now your presence just drops on each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, the anointing is that which cannot be produced apart from you. So we just look to you, Holy Spirit, to move, to touch, and to bring insight, revelation, and change into our heart. Even if it is just a recognition of weaknesses in our life. Maybe things we've never faced before. Maybe things we've ignored. Maybe things we've turned from so we wouldn't have to deal with. But yet they're the very things that are holding back advancements in our life. God, we have been delivered out of the dominion, out of the authority, and out of the power of darkness. And we have come into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus, who we declare is Lord. And as Lord, it means he is the head. He is in charge. He is the one that we look to. He is the head of the church. He is our all in all and everything. That anything that I need is in him. Any direction I need is from him. Any, any wisdom that I need would be obtained from him. Lord, you are the one. You are the only one. That when we say that you are Lord... It is not because it's a religious cliche, but it is an absolute sincere truth that is in our heart that you are Lord. You are the one in charge. You are the one that I look to. So Holy Spirit, help each and every one of us to more and more set our sights on our God, on our Lord, on our Savior on your word, on your direction, on your instruction, that I would take hold of your word. Lead us in the path of life. 
Teach me through your word to walk in your ways. Teach me through your word to do your will. Instruct me and teach me in the way that I should go. Lord, your eye is on each and every one of us. You know where we're at. You know what we need. You know what steps we need to take. You know which way we need to turn and which way we need to go. In our weaknesses, we don't know. We assume, we presume, and we go by what seems right to our own emotions and unrenewed mind. But help me, Holy Spirit, to set my sights on you, that I would more and more and more look to you, turn to you, to turn from my weaknesses and to your strength. Lord, I thank you that this can be a reality in each and every one of our lives. And we receive it right now in the name of Jesus. We receive this in our heart in the name of Jesus. We receive this into our life in the name of Jesus. Lord, we do want that power perfected because we want to be living gateways for you and we want to be the portal that allows your presence and your power to move through us and to move onto this earth. Lord, we thank you for it. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just need to let things settle in. Settle on inside of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word this evening. Thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your spirit has taught us, directed us, given us instruction, and empowered us for these things to become a reality in our life. Thank you for your help, even in this area, that we can partake of what you declare. You're the one that declares it. We're the one that will do it, but we'll do it by your power, yes. your empowerment, and by your grace. And we thank you for that, Lord. Now, Lord, we come before you right now with our giving, and we thank you for the opportunity to sow our seed. I thank you, Father, for the promises of your word. Father, you said there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. So we thank you, Father, and we declare it as on a, over our giving tonight. We declare I am the one that gives, and therefore I am the one that will increase all the more. You said it. I believe it. I receive it, and it will be so in my life because you watch over your word to perform it. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.